horrendous. Come on, give me a little bit better than that. Good morning. That's what we're talking about. Okay, you just get your little bit of attention. I know how it is. You come down. It's a little cool, but it's going to get maybe a little cooler, and you know, that's how it is. You're kind of trying to decide, did I bring enough? Is this fleece enough? Could I go beat that person up and take their fleece? I get it. I get it. That's how it works around here. Welcome to Dillon Community Churches. Uh, services at the Lake Dillon Amphitheater. We are here all summer for 12 weeks, all the way through Labor Day. It's a lot of fun. You may want to plan another vacation if this is a vacation for you. How many of you are not from this local region? You came here to enjoy this with us. You're from somewhere else. Raise your hand. Look at all those guys. Give them a big hand. Thank you. Some plan for a long time and they hear about it and sometime you just kind of stumble down. I think we had a couple people today who was like, you guys have a church service going on in here? Yes, that's what we're doing. So it's a lot of fun. And then after the big concert last night, it always generates a lot of energy and it's fun. I hope you got one of those bulletins. You're going to need that. You can't know the players without the program. You know how that works. But inside the bulletin, there's a lot of information for you about our church. On the back page is kind of very current announcements. And then there's a little insert in there. There's a reading that's in there and also the words, the lyrics to the songs that we'll be singing together in worship. This is part of our design is to come out. We try try to focus on songs that kind of maximize this theater that we have here. I mean, how could you... Who gets to do this? It's just amazing that we get to worship out at this place. And just so you know a little bit of how things go, you'll see we have communion set up on either side. That happens at the very end of the service. It's an open communion. If you have a, uh, any kind of a journey going with Jesus and you'd like to come and celebrate that, we invite you to be a part of that. We'll also receive an offering at the end of the service. So you're not kind of wondering, does this church not take an offering? They all do. <laughs> and it, it costs something to do this, right? It's part of the process. But we just would love for you to be able to enjoy and engage in the musical part of this process and worship for about half the service. And then we'll be hearing from our senior pastor, Jim, who will come and share from us. We're, we're uh, talking about winds of change. We're doing an entire series this summer on the Holy Spirit. Very interesting look. We won't leave the, whole, the uh, Old Testament for about five weeks, four or five weeks as we study through how did the scripture unveil the spirit to us. So I'm looking forward to hearing from him today. And then at the very end also, just so I can prep you a little bit, if you'd like to stay, we're going to have Jim come up here. He has a major reconstructive intestinal surgery tomorrow, and so we're going to pray for him, and uh, if you'd like to, at the very, very end of the service, we'll do that, but I'll invite you again at the very end. So why don't we all stand together, and uh, I'm going to hand it off to Rob right now. Rob, lead us in. Good morning. So the, uh, the, the overwhelming thought that has been riding in my mind is... Um, the idea of the ministry of reconciliation is the, the term that Paul uses, and it's this idea that God has given us a, a chance to move in the way that he moves to help reconcile the world to him. And I want to read a passage where he talks about that. It's out of 2 Corinthians. And um, 
So if you'll just listen with me in your hearts as I read this passage. This is uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 21. It says, For Christ's love compels us because we are conf- uh, convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So all of the songs uh, today are, are, are geared towards that idea of us moving into the world in a very intentional way of uh, administering God's love and his peace and uh, his strength into the people that God puts into our lives. And uh, if you would... Join with me in that mindset and in our worship and just presenting ourselves to the Lord and say, Lord, I know that you have me in a particular place, particular time, with particular people, and help me to understand how to love them. Help me to understand how to use what you've given me to bless those around me. And so I want to start. We're going to read this prayer um, of St. Francis of Assisi. It's in your bulletins if you guys want to join with us. I'll give you a moment. I hear papers. Everyone ready for this? Lord, make Make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. Grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. And sing of our great and glorious King. You are strong when you feel weak. In your brokenness, complete. Shout to the north and the south. Sing to the east and the west. Jesus is Savior to all. Lord of Shout to the north. 
Jesus loves me, this I know, for 
Jesus gave us a, a symbol to remember him by, and uh, he talked about it with his disciples. He said, as often as you do this in the remembrance, uh, do it in the remembrance of me, and it was with uh, the bread and the wine. He said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. And, uh, and there's an image in scripture that talks about the, uh, the branches in the vine, and all of us have been branches that have been grafted into the vine of Christ. And in that light, we follow in his way. We, we walk in his road. Um, and so this next song, The Wonderful Cross, I didn't get the, uh, there's a refrain in there that I, I put in there that I wanted to sing. And it just goes, oh, the bread and the wine, the branches in the vine, oh, the bread and the wine lead us to you. And it's this idea of if the Lord is about reconciling the world, we're about reconciling the world. That's what our heartbeat should be. And we should have our eyes open every day for the people that the Lord puts in our life. Because they're there for us to love them. And uh, there's just a beautiful relationship that happens uh, when we see that. It's just a, a, an awesome thing and an honor to be a representative of Christ's love and his grace to the world. So as we sing this, uh, that's, that's the idea.
draw our attention to you. We know that you love us because of what you've told us and how you express that in Christ. We are uh, feeling the breeze blow around us today, and we're going to talk about the winds of change that the Spirit brought. He brought even further understanding and depth of knowledge into how much you love and care for us and want to be present with us. Thank you for that. Bless us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, here's two things that are going to happen before you sit down. First of all, if you have kiddos, anybody that, well, I don't care. If you're 100 years old and you think you're a kid, come on down. We're going to have a children's sermon that will meet right here on these steps. And as the children are coming down, you turn around, introduce yourself to somebody. They might be from Kansas, but they can't help it. Say hello. Be nice to them. All right. Yeah, so you guys are going to do sanctuary first, right? Yeah. After the sermon, after Jim's sermon, he'll call everybody up. You do have time to go to McDonald's. However, <laughs> yay! Come on, guys. Come on, guys. Keep tight together. Keep tight together. You guys, slide down here. Slide down here. Perfect. Hey, I, I, get the car fixed. Hey, no. Oh. No. Well, if but you guys have to move in, we're, you know, we're <laughs> welcome, Ninja. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> I love it. All right. That's enough being nice to each other. Thanks. Uh, now you can ignore that person. Turn around, sit down. I'm only messing with you. Yeah, see people still saying hi. That's good. Come on in, kiddos. Scooch together, scooch together. Come tight together. Come together, come together. Right, hop in there, Joe. You look perfect. I know you do, Steve. This is your home. These are your people. These are your, your, your buds right here. Okay, welcome, guys. Thanks for coming today. It's another beautiful, glorious day. Now, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start at this end in just a second, and I'm going to come along, and everybody's going to tell me what their favorite thing is to eat. 
what your favorite food is. It can be a dessert. It can be your favorite kind of whatever, okay? So I'm going to come right down the line. I'm going to start right here. What's your favorite food? Um, sandwiches. Pizza. Macaroni and cheese. Oh, yeah. Cupcakes. Oh, yeah. Sandwiches. 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 Cotton candy. Cheesecake. Cotton candy. Oh, yeah. Um, ice cream. Ice cream. <laughs> ice cream. Cheesecake. Spaghetti. Ice cream. Ice cream. Chicken nuggets. Alfredo pasta. Ooh, Alfredo pasta. Don't get confused about that. Let's clarify that that would have Alfredo sauce on it. That was awesome. Good, good answer, Kaylin. Hot dog. Oh, yeah. Hot dog. Hot dog, good answer. Cookie. Banana split. Oatmeal. Grapes. Wait, was this oatmeal? Oatmeal, that's so healthy. Awesome. There's a girl. She's going to grow up and live in Boulder. That's awesome. Very good. Okay. What do you think, Silas? What's your favorite food? Cheese. Um, cheese. Oh, yeah. Good work. Here we go. Nope. Okay. Judith, sandwich. I like, I like sandwiches. Sandwiches, too. And Lucas? Donuts. Donuts. Yeah, a bunch of you old guys just went, that's my man right there. Yeah, okay. Super fun. Now, here's what happened. Those are all the favorite things that you love to eat. You love that kind of food, right? Back in years and years and years ago, when people had to worship their gods, their gods asked them to bring their foods to feed them. Does that make any sense to you? Would you want to give your macaroni and cheese and the multiple of you who love sandwiches and your oatmeal and your Alfredo pasta, would you want to give those things to your God to worship them? It really doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? We're going to learn today that the God of the Bible had different things in mind than that. He had a different idea when he created us and when he allowed, he wants you to enjoy your food so you don't have to bring your favorite food to the church and give it to the church or whatever. That's not how it works. Things have changed now. We worship differently. So let's all pray together. Lord, thank you for these wonderful children. Fill them with your spirit, with the knowledge of who you are. May they learn, may their parents learn as well as we all find out what you had in mind for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, guys, you can go back, find your parents. Some of your parents are down. Give these guys a big hand. They're awesome. Give me one. Yeah, and be sure to take these kids home with you. We're not, we're not packing them up and getting them out of here. This poor little guy, I don't know what he has in mind. Where's your, where's your mom or dad, do you know? Up this direction? Perfect. All right. Oh, wait. Yeah, Lost. <laughs> the one guy sitting on the stage. <clears throat> I'd like to call attention to something in your, uh, you, hopefully you're handed this out. If you don't have this handout, you can pick one up on the way out. This is a listing of all that's happening this summer at the church. Our mission statement has a couple of real simple ideas in it that relate to this. One is intimacy with God. We want to be a community that's always coming to know the Lord a little deeper a little healthier, a little better, a little more relationally. Uh, we also want to uh, practice caring community. That's another key phrase. What does it mean for us to relate together? And last week I suggested to you that uh, caring community is the way to enjoy intimacy. That for us to really enjoy intimacy with the Lord means that we connect with one another. That's where we enjoy it the most. That's where we grow in our relationship with God the clearest. So we put together a list of all the things that are going on front and back, and uh, we even made it easy for you. If you want to register for any of these online, you can go to dillonchurch.org. You can do it right now on your smartphone if you want. You can call the office. You can email. That's all on there, and we'll take care of it. If you're only here for a week and you want something fun to do, maybe you want to hang out with the ladies, if you're a lady, on the blue for coffee on Thursday, or maybe you want to do a Bible study. Bill Spear has one right afterwards. Sunday school over at the church, and we have various things going on. If you like the Jeep, there's uh, things like that. So if, you would, uh, if you're interested in connecting, sign up for one of these. 
and have a good time this summer, whether you're here all summer or whether you're here for a week. As Mark said, we started a theme for the summer called uh, Wind of Change. We called it Wind of Change because we're going to focus on the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, uh, the most common metaphor of the Spirit in the Bible is wind or breath or spirit. It's all, all the English words have the same uh, words in the original language. Wind, breath, spirit. And because of change, whenever the Holy Spirit shows up, change begins to happen. In fact, uh, last week, for those of you that were here, we had quite a bit of wind, didn't we? So every time the breeze blows, blows by, I want you to remember that that's a metaphor to help us remember the Spirit. I've already felt it a couple of times. Now, after last Sunday, several of you said, we waited all morning to talk about the Spirit, and you talked about the Spirit for two minutes. Well, talk to God about that. <laughs> He's the one that threw in the little tiny verse. It wasn't me. What we're doing is we are starting at the beginning of the Old Testament, and we are introducing the Spirit as God does. For those of you that have the privilege of being here longer than a week, you get to experience how God reveals the Spirit. Now, you'll notice in the beginning of the Bible, there's very little said about the Spirit. We had the picture last week that he's, he's hovering over creation. He's in control. That's all we said about him last week. No language about personhood, no language about trinity, all the things that we as a Christian church believe in, none of that's there. So you can imagine the struggles that the redeemed people of God have had over several thousand years as these verses are unfolded one at a time. And then the early church, when they began to wrestle with this, to develop our doctrine of the trinity that we hold to today. But you're going to have to wait. That comes later on. Because in the beginning, we know very little about the Spirit. All we know is He is hovering over creation. He's in control. He's the one that's kind of making it happen. And that's where we went last week. Today, we're going to be reading Psalm 104. I'm going to be reading it to you. Psalm 104 is a poetic expression of the creation account. Every day of the creation account is covered in Psalm 104. We're going to work our way through it. But first, I want to go back to some things we said last week and paint another, another layer of the picture of what God is doing in creation. And the reason why we're spending the first two weeks on these two passages is because that's where the Bible starts. The Bible starts with the idea that God is creating for himself, for himself, this incredible creation for us to enjoy. Now, the ancient nations around Israel, including Egypt, where they came out of, Cana, uh, if you go over to Babylon, Samaria, all of them, they all had very similar thoughts about the world, the ancient world. They weren't asking questions about whether um, God, the gods made everything out of nothing. That wasn't even on their radar screen. They had never even conceived of that. That's not a question that came until much, much later, more recent to us with uh, science. That's when those questions raised, were raised. They weren't asking that question at all. They were asking questions along the lines of, are the gods in control? Because the last thing we want is chaos. It's the gods' responsibility to keep everything under control. We don't have the ability to do that. We can't control lightning storms, can we? Can't control floods, although we may try with things like reservoirs, but we really can't. That's the, that's the responsibility of all the gods. So the best thing we can do is we can appease the gods so they, they keep everything controlled and in order. And I argued from Genesis 1 that um, I do believe in creation out of nothing, creation ex nihilo, we call that. That's a technical term. But not because of Genesis 1, but because of Hebrews 11. By faith, we believe that God's created the universe out of nothing. Because Genesis 1, it says when God created the heavens and the earth, the way they would have understood that is that he took existing material and he brought order to it and he, he made everything that we see. In fact, that's how the same word is used when it's in uh, chapter 1 of Genesis when he said he created Adam and Eve. He created humans. 
How did he create humans? He took the dust of the earth and he formed these humans out of the dust of the earth. So they weren't asking the same questions that we ask today. They're asking the question of who are the gods and what are they doing? So when God gave Genesis 1 and 2 at, the, at Sinai, they had just been led out of the uh, exodus, out of Egypt, he began right at the beginning to answer all the fundamental questions about who he is and who we are in relation to him. And he begins the process of debunking all of the ancient myths. No, the creation isn't the result of warfare. It's not the result of um, chaos. It's not the result of any of that. It's the result of his intentional creative act because he loves us. Well, we're going to add one more layer to that. The ancients, when they looked at creation, what they saw was this is a microcosm. I mean, look at those mountains. Just look at that. Look at that reservoir. This is a microcosm that represents the entire universe, and they picture all of this as the temple of the Lord, of the gods, I should say. All the surrounding nations had some variation on that theme. This represents the, the temple, God's temple, where he dwells. So they would build local temples to, re to represent, if you will, you might think of it as a portal, a portal where the gods would connect with us. And so in those local temples, they would bring food and they would offer it to the uh, icons and the idols and the statues of the gods. If you've been overseas, anybody been overseas to a, a, a temple somewhere in India, Nepal, any place like that? Let me see. You know what I'm talking about, right? You have the daily practice, the ritual of bringing foods to the gods. That symbolized that we were going to care for the gods. Now, I know it sounds a little strange to us, but that's how they conceived of it. The gods care for us by keeping everything controlled, and we care for the gods by feeding them. That's how they thought of it. So all of creation was considered a temple. And what the gods did was they would create, if you're Egyptian, they created every 24 hours. The sun god would rise and bring order to everything as we see it. And then in the sunset, he would go down, the sun god Ra would go into the netherworld, and chaos would erupt. That's why they were afraid of oceans, seas, the dark, things like that. All that imagery and language is all throughout our Bible. Darkness is always conceived of as chaos and sinful, isn't it, in Scripture? And then the next morning, sun god would rise again, and there's order and chaos. The Canaanites believed that the earth was created every year, and annual festivals to symbolize that God re the gods recreated the earth and rebuilt the temple every year, annually. Now you're wondering, what's that got to do with the Christian Bible? And the Christian Bible follows the pattern of the ancient nations to communicate this incredible, wonderful God. God spoke to them, the ancients, in language that they understood. It made sense to them. So the six days of creation, we'll talk about the seventh day later, the six days of creation show our God, the true God, intentionally bringing purpose and order to a chaotic world. So remember the story in Genesis? It starts with the spirit hovering over the chaos. And then the next thing that happens is we have order for six days in a row. That's what happens. By the way, in the ancient myths, all the gods, they, um, they created a garden as part of their temple. Now, where do they get these ideas? Isn't that what kings do? Emperors, people that are ruling in power. And they go into a foreign land and they take control of it. They begin to build it the way they want it to look. They build their palace. They build the temple to their God. They build gardens around their palaces. And so Genesis is giving, giving us this fantastic picture of a God who wants to communicate in language that the ancient people understood of his love and care for us. He's very purposeful. He's very intentional. The seventh day, we'll come back to that, is a very critical day in this process. Uh, because on the seventh day, or at the end of the creative process, depending on which nation you were in, when the gods had finished building the temple, then they would sit in the temple and rest. And everything is good in the world. Everything is fine. Everything is now under control. 
Now I'm going to read Psalm 104 to you. Psalm 104 is a poetic, if you will, inspired, I believe, yes, but a poetic expression of this creation account day by day. And we're going to see the Spirit pop up again. Now, why are we doing this again? Talking about creation? Because God starts with this house that he's built, all of creation, and shows you just a glimmer, a glimpse of this Spirit of his and what he's doing in this house. Once we get through this, starting next week, we're going to begin to look at, so what is it God expects in this house that he's built, this temple? What is it he wants? Where does he go from there? And that's the next phase with the Spirit. So Psalm 104. Psalm 104 is talking about God as a king. And he reveals his, uses all kinds of language down through here of a king, riding chariots, all kinds of things like that. But this king is revealed in his acts. Now remember in the ancient myths, the gods, a lot of this happened by accident. Two gods would fight, boom. Some creation would, the earth would appear or something. But our story is different because it shows a loving God who very intentionally builds what he wants to build for his benefit to connect with us and our benefit to enjoy him. So all of this creation is for our benefit to enjoy him. So we're going to read it. Uh, one more thing to say about Psalm 104. It was very common in the ancient world, again, every nation did it, to talk about um, architecture, the, the architecture of the creation. And they pictured all of this creation as uh, like an architect would build something. In fact, you could picture God as a, as a, a contractor building something. And so the, our Bible is filled with language that is like that. For instance, in Exodus 24.10, when Moses met God, it says that he was walking on the ground that looked like sapphire pavement. It's what you'd see when you were entering into the presence of a king. Or Job 22, where it says the heavens are vaulted. You have this idea of this massive vault that the heavens, this is God's temple. Or Job 38, the earth's foundations are footings and a cornerstone. So all the way through there, we have this language of the, the earth's foundations serve as the cornerstone which holds everything in place. Or Job 38, the sea has doors and bars that, that keep it at bay. That becomes important in just a minute in Psalm 104. Or Psalm 132, verses 7 and 8, the ark the temple is considered his footstool. The psalmist cries out, let's go to his footstool and worship him. The temple, specifically the ark. That's the footstool where God rests and he rests and he puts his feet there. The ark of the covenant. So those are just some examples. The language of ancient architecture is all the way throughout the scriptures to help us grasp this idea that this, everything we see, look around you, is God's temple right here. Now, I'll just give you a foretaste what happens when the New Testament comes when we are called the temple of the Holy Spirit. Just an inkling of what's coming. All right. So, in a Psalm 104, verse 1, Praise the Lord, O my soul. You notice if you have your Bibles that the word Lord is all in caps. There's that word for the one true living God. Praise the one true living God, O my soul. You are my God. You are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. So the very first thing he starts off with is saying, O king, O one true living God, you alone are clothed with all of this wonderful splendor, glory, majesty, and then he starts in. in Genesis 1, the very first thing God did was he created light. Look what he says in verse 2. The Lord wraps himself in light as with a garment. That's where he starts. The Lord wraps himself in light, day one, as with a garment. So God created light as the very first part of the creation account. All the way through the Bible from that time on, light is the metaphor for God's glory. God is revealed as light. When you are in the light, you find healing, you find refreshment, you find encouragement. When you're in the darkness, you're alone. You find fear, those sorts of things. And then he goes right from there to day number two. In day number two in the Genesis account, he created the sky. So in verse two, second part, he says, He stretches out the heavens like a tent and lays the beams of his upper chambers on their waters. 
He makes the clouds his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. Now remember, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. We just haven't got there yet. He's going to give us just a glimpse of where he fits in. So the tent, here's an image, right? He spreads out the heavens like a tent. This creation is his dwelling place. It's his tent where he lives. By the way, the word for tent is the word for tabernacle. Same word. And so he's describing, the psalmist is describing the very, all of creation as this massive tabernacle, this massive tent. And he talks about the beams, right? You see the beams, his private chamber. He lays the beams of his upper chambers on the waters. In the Genesis account, you have the upper waters and the lower waters are separated. And it says he places the beams on the upper waters while the upper chamber in any king's palace is his private chamber. That's his private chamber. So what we have here is a picture of God. This is his dwelling place, his temple, his house, his abode. And the upper section is where he rests privately. He's overseeing all of this. He's overseeing all of it. That's the image that the psalmist is giving us. Well, then the next section on day number three, we have all the earth and the vegetation. I'm going to read this section and then talk you through it. It's a little bit long, starting in verse five. Uh, oh, no, I forgot something in verse 4. He makes winds his messengers, flames of fire his servants. One of the things that Psalm 104 does is as it portrays all of this creation in temple imagery, then it goes back and weaves its way through there something very significant. Step by step, he begins to unravel or defeat all of the Canaanite gods. Now, remember, the ancient uh, nation of Israel was surrounded by Canaanite gods, and they struggled with uh, worshiping the Canaanite gods their entire history. They, they, they just had a really hard time letting go of that. So we're going to see the psalmist attack the Canaanite gods, just like the, the uh, ten plagues attack the Egyptian gods. The psalmist here attacks the Canaanite gods. And the first thing he says is he makes his winds his messengers. Uh, in fact, the end of verse 3. He makes the clouds his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. He makes winds his messengers, flames of fire his servant. Baal, the chief Canaanite god, was pictured as a rider of the cloud. He was pictured as racing through the clouds on his uh, chariot. In fact, in Canaanite mythology, whenever it thundered and it rained, the thunder represented Baal and the other male gods chasing the female gods. No lie. That's what they thought. That's why it thundered. And so he's, they're chasing the female gods around the heavens, and you know what females and females do, and that's why you have rain. That's Canaanite mythology. Okay? So that's what thunder told us. So Baal is pictured, the chief Canaanite god, is racing around in a, in a Baal myth, chasing God, chasing the, uh, the gods around. And our scriptures say, nope, the one true living God, he's the one that rides his chariot across the winds and the clouds. So when you see those clouds and you see those winds, that's what you can think of. Incredible image. So Baal is not who he thinks he is. So then, day three, starting in verse five. He set the earth on its foundations, because on day three, God created earth and vegetation. So here we have earth and vegetation talked about. He set the earth on its foundations. It can never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The water stood above the mountains, but at your rebuke, the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took to flight. They flowed over the mountains. They went down into the valleys to the place you assigned for them. You set a boundary they cannot cross. Never again will they cover the earth. He makes springs pour water into the ravines. It flows between the mountains. We've all seen this, haven't we? This is our world. They give water to the beasts, all the beasts of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Uh, the birds of the sky nest by the waters. They sing among the branches. The waters, the mountains from his upper, he waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The land is satisfied by the fruit of his work. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for the people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth, wine that gladdens human hearts, oil to make their faces shine, and bread that sustains their hearts. By the way, you get that sense of how God has blessed us with creation? It's not here for us to abuse. It's here for us to enjoy and take care of. We have a core responsibility as Christians to take care of this wonderful creation. 
because it was given to us as a gift to bless us. The trees of the Lord are well watered, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. There the birds make their nests, the stork has its home in the junipers, the high mountains belong to the wild goats. You ever see those driving down I-70? Every now and then I get to ride instead of drive, and occasionally I see one way up high. often see them down by the highway. The high mountains. The crags are a refuge for the high racks. Okay, right off the bat, the very first thing he says here, verse 5, he set the earth on its foundations. It can never be moved. This is a refutal of Canaanite mythology. They taught that the earth was recreated annually, every 12 months. And what does God say? Mm -mm. It happened once. It can never be moved. That's what he says. Now, if you were in Israel reading this, this would have made sense to you. You would have been very familiar with Canaanite mythology. It was interwoven all the way through. And then he says, uh, verse 7, At your rebuke the waters fled. Here is a reference to another Baal myth where Baal was victorious over the sea god Yam. By the way, in all the ancient mythologies, the gods are always fighting. They're always fighting. Where did they get that idea? By looking at us? Don't we always fight? We always have tension somewhere, don't we? So they figured the gods must be the same. They had no way of knowing. So they looked at each other and said, this must be what the gods are like. And what does he say? It's not that there's a God who overcame another God, the God Baal who overcame the God of water, Yom. Nope. It's that God, our God, the one true living God, at your rebuke, the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took to flight. God did not fight. He simply spoke. He simply spoke, and the waters obeyed him. The waters obeyed him. Then he goes on, as I mentioned a minute ago, and talks about all this wonderful language of animals and plant life. They are in our service and for our benefit and enjoyment, and we are to care for them. It's where wine comes from. It's where food comes from. God created this wonderful creation to care for us, and therefore we should care for it. It's a beautiful picture when you read this imagery here. And then, though the land is cursed, he freely blesses us from his grace. Because he is over all. The trees of the Lord are well watered. The cedars of Lebanon that he planted. There the birds make their nests. The stork has its home in the junipers. So now picture yourself in the ancient world. Creation is chaos. Everything you see is chaos. And the one true God steps in and brings order to all of this. So the psalmist, following the outline of Genesis 1, points to every major aspect of creation to help us see that God is God, that God is in control. There are no other gods to worry about. We only serve one God. We don't, really, we don't have to worry. Well, then in day 4 in Genesis, God created the sun, moon, and stars. Look at verse 19. He made the moon to mark the seasons, and the sun goes, and the sun knows when to go down. You bring darkness, it becomes night, and all the beasts of the forest prowl. The lions roar for their prey, and they seek their food from God. The sun rises. Went from the moon to the sun. They steal away, they return and lie down in their dens. Then people go out to work to their labor until evening. By the way, the um, again. Canaanite myth. The sun, the moon, and the stars were all gods. They're all gods. And what we see here is that our God is in control. He's the one that made the moon to mark the seasons. He's the one that made the sun rise. He made all of that. So this is saying those Canaanite gods that you believe in, they're not real. They have no power. They're not real at all. And then from there, he moves to uh, day five, the birds and the fish in Genesis 1. The birds and the fish, verse 24. How many are your works, Lord? In wisdom, you made them all. Notice the first thing he says. The earth is full of your creatures. We serve a very creative God. 
a new idea in the ancient world. In fact, I've asked many people over the years, look out a window and tell me what you see. And most of the time we say, I see trees and grass and cars moving around. I see mountains over there. I see the lake over here. Let's, let's pause for a second and let's think theologically. What do you see? You think theologically, what do you see? Do you see green or do you see an infinite number of shades of green? That represents creativity. Do you see cars and houses or do you see order and structure and intelligence? Intelligence that represents our God. We're made in his image. When it rains, do you see water or do you see a blessing on the earth? In fact, when it snows, it's a blessing on the earth. In many countries of the world, water is a source of transportation. For the Christian, it's a source of life. It represents God's love for us. It's really hard to change your mind and begin to look around you at the world, the created world, in terms of who God is, theologically. That's why I encourage people, if you're struggling in your walk with the Lord, you don't know where you are with Jesus, go for a walk. Grab a friend, go for a walk. And Psalm 19, Psalm 24, the heavens shout the glory of God, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Go for a walk. And don't ponder nature. Ponder nature in the context of who this great God is. Because this great God is the one that made all this. And all of creation shouts his glory. All of it. That's one of the things that we have here that many churches around the world don't have. Is the chance to do this. Amphitheater's great, isn't it? Isn't it great? So God is very creative. He goes on to say that the sea is under his control. Then says something very interesting. Um, verse 25, there is the sea vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small. There the ships go to and fro, and the Leviathan, which you formed to frolic there. Okay, now we have another Canaanite myth, another Baal legend. The, um, the Leviathan was a large creature that was very feared in ancient mythology, as the oceans were. Oceans were feared. You couldn't see down into them. They were the place of chaos, place of death, the place that you could never discover. And here God presents it as he actually created the Leviathan. And what? He created the sea as a playground. Just like the mountains are the playground for elk and deer and countless other animals. The sea is a playground for the Leviathan to frolic, to swim and run and have fun. Very counter to Canaanite mythology, to be afraid of, to be terrified of. Then he moves from there to day six, and here's where we have the spirit introduced. Day six in Genesis is where he creates the larger animals and the humans. And here's what he says here, verse 27. All creatures look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, their spirit, they die. And what happens? They return to the dust. But when you send your spirit, they are created. And you renew the face of the ground. We have a new idea presented here. In Genesis, I gave you the thought that I think anyway, that the spirit is pictured as hovering over the chaos. And then all of creation happens. Here, the spirit is presented as when he appears, life appears. So creation is something that God watches over all the time, constantly, all the time. Now back to day seven and the rest. Sabbath, it's easy to think that Sabbath means you don't do anything. That's not what Sabbath means at all. Sabbath means you rest from something you've accomplished. Even the Jewish theologians understood that. God didn't stop working. People are born, people die, earth is held together. God continued to work. Sabbath isn't about God stopping his work. 
God is, Sabbath is about God completing something, and he rests. How many of you have completed a project, and you go, yes, it's done? You know what I mean? It's the words Jesus used at the cross. <sighs> it is finished. I completed the course for 33 years. I did it. Sabbath is about completing a process and beginning something new. And so God presents the creation account. He, cre he finished creation. He sat back and he smiled. He took up residence in his temple and he started something new. And what is that something new? Watching over creation. And that's where the spirit comes in. When you send your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. Okay, starting in verse 31, we're now talking about day seven, and I'm just going to read it because it's wonderful words. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. This is what the Lord does in his new temple. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. He who looks at the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke, I will sing to the Lord all my life. Thank you, Rob, and the group up here for leading us in worship. I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. May my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. But may sinners vanish from the earth and the wicked be no more. That's the wish for the temple to be cleansed. Hmm, more about that later. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. That's Psalm 104. Follows the outline of Genesis, the creation account, to help us understand God is in control. You can trust this one true living God. There are no other gods to worry about, none whatsoever. He refuted all the Canaanite, major Canaanite gods and myths. And number three, he built this for us to enjoy. This is our home. This is our home. That's why I love coming out here in the amphitheater. And what role did the Spirit play? It's hovering in Genesis 1 bringing order to everything. And then in Psalm 104, he's bringing life. We have life because of the Spirit. Did you feel that breeze? I like to refer to the Spirit as the silent member of the Trinity. Let's pray. Father, thank you for creating such a fantastic, fantastic place for us a place that we can enjoy you, a place where we can love you, a place where we can worship you, a place where we can frolic and play, a place where we can run and ski and, and enjoy all of your creation. We can dance, Lord, the concerts even the last couple of nights, a place where we can get together, a place where ultimately we'll be restful, a place that'll be safe, a place, Lord, where you dwell. And thanks, once you created this wonderful creation, this temple, you decided to take up your dwelling here with us, to live with us, to be part of our lives, to guide our journeys, and to involve yourselves in everything that happens with us. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, we're going to take an offering now, as Mark said. Uh, we actually have two offerings. 